You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Last Sunday, I was so thankful for Pastor Jason leading us through this passage earlier in Luke 4, where Jesus comes to his hometown. He's gaining some fame and recognition. He's done some cool things. He shows up to Nazareth. He goes to church, the synagogue. He opens the Bible. He reads Isaiah 61. This incredible passage of the Old Testament where it says God's Messiah is going to heal the blind. He's going to help the sick. He's going to set the captives free. And the people of Nazareth demand he does the signs and wonders right then to prove himself. They ask in doubt. And Jesus refuses because Jesus is the Lord God. And Deuteronomy 6.16 says, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. He's not going to lead that way. He's not going to act that way. And he tells them two Old Testament stories from the book of 1 and 2 Kings saying, I am a global Messiah. I am a Messiah coming to absolutely all peoples and all ethnicities, not just here in Nazareth, but all over the globe. I'm not a cheap magician. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm also not your mascot, Nazareth. You won't get special treatment from me. And this news so infuriates his hometown who demanded signs and wonders, they try to run him off a cliff. And so Jesus moves on to Capernaum. It's a multi-ethnic fishing village on the Sea of Galilee, something we'd probably call a lake. And Jesus has worked there before. And in this passage, it reveals to us what we really want to know. That if Jesus isn't meeting their expectations, then who exactly is Jesus? What is Jesus really like? And what's that mean for us? As people who follow Jesus, what's he really care about? What's Jesus really like? If all these people who grew up Jewish and grew up in a hometown with Jesus, if they're all getting it wrong, then what's that mean for me as a follower of Jesus? Or maybe you as someone just curious about Jesus. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if Jesus just came and sat down in our synagogue? What would it be like to actually touch this man, to smell him, to be in a room with him? Do you ever get the sense, because maybe we don't know Jesus that well, that us, like the people of Nazareth, kind of want Jesus just to be a mascot for whatever our thing is? That we want to, we see this great powerful thing, we don't totally get it, but man, I'm sure he cares about my thing. And if you wonder what your thing is, your thing is the thing you, you know, tend to judge others on and tend to demand everyone else care about it as much as you do. And the truth is, Jesus has his own priorities. Jesus has his own priorities. He's no one's mascot. And so as he goes about fulfilling Isaiah 61 in this passage, he's actually going to set some people free from demonic oppression. He's actually going to heal the sick. As he does that, it shows us two parts of Jesus we got to get a hold on if we're ever going to get this guy. Both Jesus's radical authority and Jesus's priorities. And we have a chance to look and know Jesus. It gives us three ways Jesus demonstrates his authority. And the first way is over the word of God. Look at verse 31 and 32. It says, and he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. 
Jesus went to church, y'all. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will go to church too to be like Jesus. Not just because the church wants you there, not because I want you here, but because Jesus models the way for us. A synagogue was just a Jewish church. It's, and they did in a synagogue what we did today. They sang worship to Jesus. They had a liturgy built on the scriptures. They read scripture publicly. Someone preached and taught from the word of God. They did what we did. They fellowshiped together. They cared for one another. But when Jesus shows up to church, they all recognize something different is happening. That Jesus is different from all other rabbis. That's what they called pastors. See, rabbis in that day and age would comment on the scriptures, but often quote other rabbis' comments on the scriptures and kind of have this debate between all these human sources about what exactly the Old Testament is getting at, what exactly it means there. But Jesus shows up and he often overrules these rabbis' interpretations and he does so without doubt and without caveat. Jesus simply speaks as God himself. He speaks exactly what it means, both explaining the Old Testament and expanding the teachings of the Old Testament. He's not changing or correcting the Old Testament, but rather he's fulfilling it and explaining it that all the Old Testament actually centers on him. That all the stories, all the prophecies are actually about him. He's taking this book of the Old Testament, all of these different stories and saying, they're all about me. And to find their true expression, their true interpretation is to see them in light of me, Jesus. And that's what we would call gospel-centered. That every Bible story or passage should be read in light of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said and what Jesus accomplishes in our salvation. And here at Citizens, we are proudly and boldly gospel-centered. We want to teach as Jesus taught. We want to see the Bible as Jesus sees it. Because when Jesus did that, that day in Capernaum and all the other synagogues he visited, it just blew their minds. Notice how many times in Luke it says they're astonished or amazed or they're just in awe. These people are just blown away that Jesus has rolled into the scene and he is blowing it up with the truth of God and it's blowing people's minds. And that's my hope every Sunday, that you would leave citizens and talk with your friends or your spouse or your children or share a podcast with someone because of how today's scripture made you know and love Jesus more, hate your sin, feel the grace of God is real, making a way for you today and ultimately lead you to obey Jesus with great joy. If you leave saying, hey, you know, Justin's an okay preacher. I have not won that day but I've actually failed at my job and failed at the work we're trying to accomplish. But if you leave saying, the word of God spoke to my heart in song, the word of God spoke to my heart in liturgy, the word of God spoke to my heart in preaching, then we win at the work today. That is my great hope for what we're doing here at Citizens. Most Christians run around in the car of their heart, driving on empty all the time and wondering why they feel defeated at every turn. Most people are on E. It's not like we're doing great. We trick ourselves and turn up the radio. Most people are not doing great. Even people who I know are committed Christians aren't doing great. And a big part of it is we don't prioritize the church like Jesus does. This dude's getting thrown out of church and he can't stop coming back to church. Or they're part of a dead church. 
that's dead, not because it's not cool or, or something like that. It's dead because they don't preach the scriptures in a Jesus-soaked way as Jesus did. That's what gives life to our community. It isn't our talents. It isn't our gifts. It isn't our maturity. It isn't getting the mission exactly right. The life-giving thing in our community is God preached through his word as the spirit of God to us. If there's something else animating our life, then we're getting it wrong. It's not a building. It's not money. It's not any of those things. Those are all just tools under the authority of Jesus Christ. But we want to be a people radically committed to Jesus and Jesus's words. And Jesus's authority extends even over those who don't love the word of God, the wicked demons. Look at verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the demon had thrown him down in their midst and came out of him, having done him no harm. So this is the first miracle we get in detail in all of Luke. It's mentioned he was doing astonishing things, but this is actually it. And the miracle seems a little unlikely to us. There's a demon in church. It happened then, it happens now. A demon is a fallen angel who's chosen to side with a chief fallen angel, the devil. Demons live in the spirit realm described by the Bible and continue to follow the devil's evil ways on this earth, trying to thwart the plan of God, trying to take glory from God and make us choose sin or choose a path other than following Jesus. And the demon here is actually trying to do the scary demonic magic stuff. The stuff, if you buy a pagan spell book, they'll tell you to do today, or if you get one dug up from a thousand years ago, the whole game of it is that people are trying to use spiritual titles or find the right spiritual key of someone's name. And if they say the right name, they can then control them. That's why you see these demons calling him Jesus of Nazareth, Holy One of God. Later, a demon will yell out, you are the son of God. They're all grasping at this moment to try to control and master Jesus. And stuff we don't talk about much because many of us are not practitioners of pagan magic. But that is what is happening. But the truth we need to see is that Jesus will have none of it. Demonic incantations do nothing to King Jesus. Jesus just flatly wins. Jesus takes the works of the devil. They hold no weight before him and destroys them. And he doesn't allow the demon to speak any further because Jesus has no toleration of false religion. This demon is in this church promoting false religion that you can know Jesus, but not faithfully submit or believe in Jesus. Jesus won't let the devil model the way for interacting with Jesus before the people of God. Rather, Jesus wants his works, his words, the scriptures themselves, John the Baptist, God, all these things that testify to who Jesus is and not let the demon shout over the top. Satan has for too long been shouting in the world, but now Jesus is here and it's time for him to be quiet for the truth is ready to speak. 
And this is scary stuff. If you grew up in the South and many people I meet in Birmingham who would call themselves Christians, but actually practice this religion of demons, that they know something about Jesus would say, oh yeah, yeah, mom's a Christian, dad's a Christian. Yeah, I went to church growing up. Some version of that. They know something about Jesus, a title of Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. And that's a gigantic difference. It's what James 2.19 would say. You believe there is one God, good. So do the demons and shudder. To know about Jesus is not the same as trusting Jesus. To know a title or a fact or have some history with the church is not the same of choosing and following the risen Lord of Christ himself. They are different things. Having an intellectual knowledge or even agreement is not enough to save. The demons have that. They have a fairly accurate knowledge of Jesus. They're not even really debating him. They're in fearful judgment. Are you going to torture us? All not enough. These demons belong to the devil. And Jesus tells us a bit about this dynamic of how you can be religious, but not have a relationship with God. Matthew 7 is so clear. It says, not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Your good works don't save you, but they are evidence of a changed life to do the Father's will. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Sounds like religious behavior. And in your name, drive out demons and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I, Jesus, will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's very possible to live and practice a demon religion of knowing something about Jesus without believing, or in other words, submitting to Jesus. That's probably the key word. Do I expect Jesus to follow me around as my butler, or do I follow Jesus as he actually is? The Lord of Lord with all authority on heaven and earth and the only savior for sins. And there's a world of difference between those two things. Jesus can save you from the religion of demons today. And that's good news, folks. And it starts with being amazed with Jesus. Look at verse 36. And they were all amazed. Imagine the different reactions from Nazareth to Capernaum. They're all looking around like, he threw a demon out of our church. He's preaching the Bible like nothing we've ever heard. And they said to each other, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. There's not a big tug of war. It's Jesus is king. Amazement spreads. They'd heard teachers. They'd seen people try exorcisms, but they just weren't like Jesus. Jesus leaves the synagogue and he actually walks just 83 feet to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And we actually have the, uh, the archeology span from the earliest Christian days. They marked out, hey, this is where Simon Peter's mother-in-law lived. And you can go there today. And the synagogue is still there too. And there's a church built right beside it to tour you around in it. That 83 feet later, he walks into Peter's mother-in-law's house in the synagogue just down the street. But when Jesus arrives, there's a crisis brewing. Verse 38, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. 
And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. The writer of Luke's gospel is a doctor. That is his profession. He is the only non-Jewish writer of the Bible. He is a physician by calling, and he calls it a high fever, which would mean in the ancient world, without modern medicine, that a high fever, probably the end for Simon Peter's mother. We have ancient sources that talked about this area of Galilee. They often got something called lake fever from drinking water unclean from the lake. It's, they purified it, but they missed the process and they got really sick. And Jesus heals her instantly. It doesn't say she had a demon. Not all illnesses are the direct work of Satan. This is evidence right here. And Jesus proves that his authority extends past the word of God, past the wicked of this earth, but even to the natural world. Think about this, that tiny viruses, little pieces of bacteria, little molecules in your body or the air, our physical bodies, they all have to obey Jesus too. It's not just the stars in the sky or the seasons or creation in this meta sense. It gets all the way to the micro of micro of micro that all things must obey Jesus's glorious words to them. And I want you to imagine the scene. If you've ever been around someone who's really dying and might even have an illness that's infectious, 